Welcome to the Strut South Podcast. Today on the show, we're going to talk to Shane Simpson. He runs callingallturkeys.com. He's got a great YouTube channel. He does all sorts of stuff, DIY hunting. And today we're going to talk to him about all that stuff. He provides lots of great knowledge after hunting several states all across the country. Also, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Anchor. Get on there, subscribe, get notified, get the episodes. Let's get to it. All right, guys, welcome to the podcast. We've got Shane Simpson on the line. What's up, Shane? Not much. How you doing, Ryan? Oh, I'm good, man. Um, just getting ready for deer season. We got right at a week and a half, basically, until our starts. Um, well, lucky you. <laughs> we still got. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Let's see. What is it? Two and a half weeks now up here. Is it the fifteenth of September? And uh, yeah, yeah. I tell you what, I'm ready. I'm ready. We had some cool weather just come through yesterday and it feels like deer season up here it feels really good i'm ready to get out there yeah no that's we're we're waiting on we're waiting on some cold air we we it's it's been last several nights it's been kind of cool but not not what it needs to be but uh you're looking for cool weather you gotta you gotta use your words wisely cold weather to me is (laughs) it's like teens and stuff Oh yeah, we we, well, we, got <laughs> we we don't ever see teens. I mean, we we might get we might get teens once a year, and if they, and if it is once a year, it'll be one day. <laughs> yeah, probably probably like in January after the season. Yeah, I, I usually quit hunting when it gets that cold. I'm done, but you know, I got my tracking yeah. all good season, so I'm I'm tracking. I'm I'm mainly relegated to just hunt September and. And then a little bit of October, if I can squeeze a hunt in in November during the rut, I will. But um, you know, when it gets that cold, I'm I'm done. I'm thinking about turkey season. But I I tell you what, this year I got started thinking about deer season early. I think it was um last week of turkey season in May up here, and and I was like, oh man, I can't wait for turkey season to end. Not because I was ready for it to be over, but because I wanted to put my trail cameras out on public land and. And I wanted to make sure, you know, no one's going to stumble on them out there turkey hunting. So I usually put them out after all the hunting seasons are over. Come first week of June, I was putting out cameras for deer. That's right. Yeah, we we were putting them out. We started putting out our cameras, I think, right at the first of June, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I I know a lot of people. They I, I heard some or saw some comments. Sometimes uh, I was posting videos of trail cam videos and pictures. You know. It was, too early we're putting cameras out, you know, because the bucks ain't got any antlers yet or, or haven't really started growing good. And that that wasn't really my intent. I put cameras out in places I like to to uh, confirm that they're good travel corridors. If I see a spot from the satellite image, I think it uh, might be a good funnel. I'm just using that camera like if I, that was a spot I might want to hunt and just set it there. And that's all I'm doing in June. I'm seeing if there's doe traffic or just deer traffic in general, buck traffic, I don't care. Um, and that's all I was doing. You know, I don't know if I get a nice buck on the trail camera. That's, that's a little bonus. But, uh, anyhow. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of cold weather, actually, I was, you're actually in Minnesota. Is that right? Yep. Uh, White Bear Lake, Minnesota. It's okay. just a north, northeast suburb of St. Paul, Minnesota, Twin Cities. It's, it's, People familiar with that, then they'll know where I'm at. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because some people might be wondering, like, where's he hunting at if it's that cold? <laughs> but uh, oh, it gets yeah, most, cold this year. Yeah. Uh, well, today I kind of wanted to. That's what we wanted to kind of talk about. Not really cold weather, but I mean, uh, I know you you like to hunt public ground, probably. More than anything, uh, especially I know you especially like doing it for turkeys. Um, yeah, and it, but there could be some good spots for public ground. And, yeah, and 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 a lot of people ask me why why I hunt 
Paul Land so much. I mean, I because you know because I do my sh- my web show called on turkeys, and I meet a lot of people and and, and different things I'm doing in the outdoor industry. I I have if I wanted access to private land, it's it's a lot easier for me to get it than say the the average person is just you know working you know nine to five or eight to five whatever and and, and doing their thing. I have a lot more connections, I guess. But man, there's something about a draw to, for me to public land. Um, number one is, you know, is the challenge. You know, I've I've hunted public, yeah. private land and I have access to private land. And there's some spots I can just go in there and I can almost guarantee I can see a deer or or have a chance of shooting one. And you know, that that's fine. I mean, if I want to kill a deer and put some meat in the freezer, you know, I, I'll probably have that opportunity. But public land to me adds not only adds another challenge. But I don't have to deal with stuff I've had to deal with in the past with private land. You know, I've had permission where the landowner says, yeah, you can hunt it, uh, but just check in with me before you go, you know, and, and those sort of things. Yeah. And it's not always the case, but then you you, you find out you are you don't have to work all the way until, you know, 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. They, uh, you're getting off early. Oh, I might just run out and hunt a little bit. But then you try to get a hold of the landowner, and you can't get a hold of them, and there goes your whole hunt. And, you know, that's just one facet of it. I mean, there's a lot of other things that's happened that, you know, you're dealing with other people, they let hunt on it. And, you know, albeit that public land has a lot of people that hunt it too. I scout it during the summer and I find these spots that no one's willing to go to. And, you know, I go, for instance, this one spot in Minnesota I'm scouting. You know, you know, it's probably as well as I do. You go on these public tracks and you'll find like an old water bottle. Or you'll find some sign that someone's been there at one point. Well, some yep. of these places I'm getting to, there is no sign of human activity whatsoever. There is no litter from years ago. It looks virgin. I mean, there is nothing back there to indicate someone's been back there in some of these spots. And, yeah, it's going to be a lot of work to get a deer out of there. But the fact that I know I can go back in there, I've found me a spot that has good deer activity, and I can sit there and it'll be... No interruption. I just realized. I mean, I didn't see a deer, but the fact that I know that I don't have to see a person makes it so much more relaxing. And yeah. you know, and that's that's kind of the reason I, I I still have a love for public land just because of that. And then there, and then the, the other thing is the challenge. I mean, if you're able to go toe to toe with everyone else else out there, you've got equal equal uh, you know chances of killing the bird as anyone else. And you're able to pull it off. It, it's just a little more gratifying. I guess that's that's the trophy in a pole hunt. What whatever you kill, it adds a little more, you know, esteem to that kill for that harvest. Yeah, I've um, I've I've turkey hunted. Yeah, shoot, man, probably at least the last twelve years um, on the public ground, just turkey hunting. Um, I'm I'm really thinking about getting into hunting it for deer which i mean i know it won't be it may not be too hard because everywhere i go to turkey hunt i mean it is just slap and fed with deer and uh but what yeah, the, what the thing about things, deer though, you can't tote them over your shoulders like you can a turkey oh yeah <laughs> man yeah which i mean it's kind of the same like like you were talking i mean um I mean, I've only turkey hunted. I haven't really deer, and I think it's more important for deer that you kind of get away from the traffic. I don't think yeah. it's, it's quite as imperative when it comes to turkeys because I don't know what it is about turkeys, but I mean, they are super smart. But sometimes it, it, it's almost like it doesn't seem to matter. You can walk right by somebody and then strike the gobbler up and go kill oh, yeah. it. I think I but think deer just. What a, uh, Anyway, we'll, we'll, everybody knows all about that. And deer, deer tend to to, to sense oh, that yeah. pressure a little more, and, and plus, deer can go nocturnal. Turkeys can't. Turkeys right. have to be out there during the day. So I mean, you know, they they have to live there, and they and they're going to be up in the wake during daylight when you're hunting. Yeah. Well, you you kind of touched on it a little bit. What uh about getting away from the traffic and getting away from other hunters? What are some of the things that you do to try to figure out? where you're going to hunt at for deer on public ground? Well, 
you know, I live in a heavily metro area. I think it's like 60%, if I'm not mistaken, I read it somewhere. I think I read correctly. Like something like 60% of the population of Minnesota lives in the in the metro counties. There's like four or five counties right here in the metro that 60%. So you can, there's a ton of people that live in this area. So you either have to drive a long ways from the metro um, and, and get to those spots or just find a track of public land near the metro that that is big enough for you to get away from the roads. And when I'm scouting these, these spots, say I'm hunting near the metro, um, we have a huge spot just north of my house. It's called Carlos Avery WMA. And I forget how many thousands of acres it is, but it's a lot of swamps and marsh. And a lot of people hunt it. And I look at these maps, and I'm, I'm not only looking for access points, but I'm looking at how far away is the next road. Because if I'm willing to walk in there a mile, and the next road is only a mile and a quarter away, you know, that cuts the distance from the other road, you know, so you really can't go that deep. You can go a half a mile, and then, you know, the, the next road is only another half mile or so away. So I'm looking at that. I'm trying to find, number one, where, where can I drop a pin, and it's at least a mile or more away from the nearest road in any direction. And then I'm looking for how difficult it is to get back in there. And it doesn't have to be extremely difficult. Like, one of the spots I have is, it's like an 800-yard walk through Cattail Marsh. And uh, during the summer when we were scouting, you needed hip boots to get in there. The water came almost all the way up to my crotch. Now, because we've had such a dry summer, and it, and it typically happens as the summer progresses, you get in the fall, the water level drops in there. Now it's just a little bit of mud. You know, you can wear some hiking boots, waterproof hiking boots, and get back in there. But you got to get through all those cattails, and, and a lot of people aren't willing to go in there through all those cattails, 800 yards or more, and because they don't want to tow the deer out of that stuff. And and, and I'm okay getting deer out of there. If it takes me three or four hours to make a couple trips, you know, quarter my deer up, I've cut deer in half and took one half out and, and then go back and get the other half or whatever or had a buddy come with me and help and then, and then process the deer at my house when I get back. So, number one, I'm looking for... Uh, places where the roads are a long ways away, and that includes private land. If there's private land nearby, those guys seem to come in there pretty readily too. I, I like trying to find a place where the public land is pretty expansive, and there's no roads nearby, and there's obstacles, cattail marshes, creeks, whatever. If I had to use a kayak to get in there, and then and then that, after that, I'm I'm looking. At that location, okay, I found a spot that I can get to that's a long ways from roads and easy access. What's in there that's going to attract the deer to that spot? Are there some uh, islands that the, with oaks on it, the acorns? You know, you don't just have to look for acorns or oak trees. Deer eat so much. Man, they're like goats. They're like little billy goats. If you ever watch yeah. a deer in some of my trail cam pictures, there's stuff up there. You know what stinging nettles is or, or itchweed, right, along the water areas, wet areas? That you walk through, right, right. They, yeah, they yeah. call it different stuff everywhere you go. Deer eat that stuff. I've watched them on trail cam just nipping the tops off of them, and getting that tender shoot. And it is amazing. Cattails. I got a video of deer eating cattails. I didn't think they ate cattails, but they'll take them and rip the the the, the grown stalk off and rip it off, and then get the tender shoots or the base of it where it's tender. I think that's the part that people can eat too. So I mean. What's out there that deer can eat? On those islands, man, there's so much native foliage and vegetation, and those deer will eat just about everything out there like a goat will. And so basically I'm just looking for dry land where there's some trees. I can hang a stand. It's hard to hunt on the ground out there in the cattail swamps unless you find an island you can sit on the ground, but I prefer to be elevated. And um, you know, just get away from the people. Um, you know, I, I grew up in South Carolina, and it was the same thing there, except we didn't have all the cattail swamps in Marsh where I live. It was timber company, planted pine. But I found, like, these drainage ditches where they, I guess it's like watersheds where they couldn't plant pines. They had to leave it in uh, uh, native trees, grow, uh, old growth, oaks and stuff. And I'd, I'd get back in there a mile, mile and a quarter back in there. 
And when I kill a deer, it was a chore to get out of there. But, you know, I think it's obvious to everyone, get away from where everyone else is. But that's not always the case. This same track land that I hunt and I walked, you know, it's about a mile or so back in there, plus 800 yards or more across the Cattail Marsh Swamp. Um, but I did, I have hunted there, parked at the parking lot and walked a hundred yards back down the little access road. And there's a little strip of woods right there next to a big field sitting there and had deer on two sits and come in there and had a doe come there. I almost got a shot at her, but I mean, sometimes it's those overlooked areas that, uh, there's no going, not going to be any deer right here. It's right next to the parking lot. So, you know, that takes, Taking a big risk though too up here. A lot of pheasant hunting goes on. A lot of small game hunters. So you always got the risk of being interrupted in that regard. But I just I just try to look for those hard to access. And it, you know, if it's far away, that's even better. But if it just any any uh, any feature of the land that uh, just what's the word I'm looking for? kind of discourages people from going back in there and distance really for deer uh discourages people. It's not so much for turkey because you can carry like I said, you can carry a fifteen, twenty, twenty five pound turkey on your shoulder. But a hundred and fifty, two hundred pound deer <laughs> you know, yeah, that's a big that's, difference. Uh, that's a different story. Um yeah. yeah, you were talking about you know, even hunting them sometimes there's always there's always that outlier, I guess. I mean, there's always a chance that you could get on any animal, you know, at any location. But I actually had last turkey season, I had that happen. I went to a place, and I'm trying to think. I think it was early early season. I got I got I was going to a piece of public ground, and I saw somebody leaving the place, and he called me, and he said, "Hey, you go." such and such and to hunt and I said yeah he's like oh well you know they're they're in the need you going over there because I just left them over there and I didn't hear anything I was like oh okay <laughs> that don't matter to me <laughs> yeah and, uh, doesn't mean there ain't no turkeys there <laughs> yeah well that's kind of good if you don't think there's turkeys here they're good well long story short I, I pulled up and I was there for 10 minutes and I got on a turkey and actually hunted him for about two hours, but I got real close, but just you know, ended up not being able to kill him. But sometimes that's like changing fishing lures. I mean, he he went in there and primed yeah. those turkeys up for him, and they heard him. And then you come in there with a with a buzz bait that's throw right. a rubber lizard, and, and uh, they struck on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I know you're like. Uh, I'm I'm going to give you a little bit of a compliment here. In my opinion, I think you're you're like one of the best if i mean really one of the the most known that, that i know of as far as hunting you know solo filming and stuff like that um because there's not i don't see many people putting videos out of of them just doing solo filming and solo hunting like that uh, I, I, I appreciate it i can't afford a cameraman that's partly why <laughs> oh yeah well everybody else is wanting to hunt <laughs> what what's some of the stuff that you what's the what's the number one tip that you would give somebody that's wanting to to do that i guess to self film um yeah i i guess the, the biggest thing is have a second angle camera you know a point of view or action camera something because when you get down to editing footage you know you you need something to cut to. Like, if you got a gobbler coming in across this field, I'll take my New York hunt from this past year, friend. And I'll send her solo film in that one. They, that flock of, of some jakes and hens and some gobblers, and they took forever to get across that field. Now, I could do it like a transition and show the passage of time and those birds come across the field, but I had a little camera hanging on a tree limb in front of me, a little action camera filming me. So what I would do is I'd cut to that action camera showing me so looking down my barrel, kind of watching the birds come in. And I would edit out a lot, like 10 minutes of those turkeys. They hadn't moved five feet in the field. I'd edit it to where they'd moved 60 yards. 
So then it would show, it would cut to me, showing me for a few seconds, and then it cut back to the turkeys, and you'd see they had covered 60 yards. They didn't do it in that few seconds. But, you know, for the, the point of the show, you know, just to, to cut down time, having a second angle really makes that easy to cut back and forth instead of having a bunch of transitions. The number, the other thing is good audio. There's nothing more aggravating than not being able to hear someone talk, not being able to hear the sounds of the, you know, what's around you. So not only do I have my main camera mic, and I have a, sh- I had a shotgun mic for that this year. I was going with just the built-in mic, which does a pretty good job on my, uh, the camera I have, which is a Sony AX53. Uh, I added a shotgun mic just to kind of amplify that sound. I have a, uh, a lav mic on me and you don't have to go all expensive and full board and get these wireless ones. I have a little field recorder. It goes in my pocket. Um, one, one AA battery runs off of it. It'll run like all day long. I put a 30 gig SD card in it, micro SD card, card. Every time I get out of the truck, I turn on hit record. I got a little lav mic hooked to it. Um, if I'm with someone, I put another one in their pocket. So both of us are mic'd up with the lav mics right next to your voice. And as a fail-safe, if it's really windy and my main audio, on my, when my main camera gets a little wind noise, I can actually cut to those lav mics and, and then just add that sound instead and kind of cut down that wind noise. So with, with my setup, though, I have four cameras going. And I have two... Uh, three mics, the main camera mic and then my two lapel mics, the lap mic. And the, the four cameras I have is my main camera, you know, that films all the shots and all that, the main stuff. I have a camera facing back towards me as I carry my tripod self in or if I'm filming someone else. I have a camera on top facing forward. And then I have one I just deploy on the ground when we set up. My system for running those action cameras is I have one of the external like phone charging batteries. And I usually get one with like 9,000 milliamp hours of uh, charge on them. And they'll run those cameras for 10 hours, basically all day long. And I'll put a, yeah, I'll put a 64 gig micro SD card in there. I'm running them at 1080p. And so when I hop out of the truck, I turn the two cameras, the point of the action cameras, one facing forward and one back at me. I hit record, and those record the entire hunt, along with my lav mics. The main camera I turn on when there's something interesting going on, or we walk in, or we hear a bird gobble, and we set up on it. Um, now, I'll, I will warn anyone that wants to try that, that's a lot of data that's being recorded every day. So it takes me about two hours yeah. each night to dump all that footage. Of course, I could go through and delete all the clips that I don't need, but that's time-consuming there in itself. But the the benefit to it is when something out of the blue happens, you've caught it on video. Like I've had, you know, all kinds of stuff happen. We were fall turkey dogging, flushed up a flock of turkeys. Those little action cameras were running and caught that. Where my main camera's off, and by the time I power it up, you know, it takes three or four seconds to turn it on and hit record. You've missed it. So there is a benefit yeah. to it, but at the same time, there's a lot of um data with it. You gotta have a lot of storage space. It takes about two hours to copy everything, download it to my computer at night when I get done hunting. If you and if you hunt all day like I do, it doesn't leave much room to get sleep that night for the next morning's hunt. But um <laughs> Yeah. That's kinda that's kinda my setup. And then I, I use Adobe Premiere to edit in and so when I'm editing, first thing I do is drop in my lag lab mic audio. And then I start dropping the, the video clips in there. And then uh, Adobe Premiere has the option you can just highlight the video clip and the, and the lav mic audio and right-click and hit synchronize. And it'll just move it to the right spot to synchronize those clips with the audio. So, you know, that's, that's the longest portion of me editing is getting all the clips synchronized from all four cameras and two mics or three mics or the two lav mics. And then I start chopping it up and editing and condensing six hours of video into a 20, 15, 20 minute video. Yeah. Yeah. It usually happens. Usually when you get a kill on camera, it usually does happen pretty quick. Yeah. And I bet, I've I bet learned all this. Go ahead. 
I was going to say, I, I bet that's kind of aggravating having to worry about all that stuff, make sure you get everything when you're going in yeah. deep on some public ground. I guess I should have said that that's, that's a good benefit of having those cameras running nonstop. You know, a lot of people, they run like GoPros and other action cameras. They, they you know, they charge them up and they might have some backup batteries. And they have them set with the Wi-Fi on so they can use their phone to turn them on. But that Wi-Fi is draining battery. And then you only get about an hour and a half out of a, out of a charge. And then by the time the Wi-Fi uses up some, you might, have, you might not get an hour. But running it the way I do yeah. with an external power source and just hitting record, you know, a turkey shows up. Let's, let's look at that New York hunt again when uh, uh, Steve Scott was with me. I was following the sweets. And out of the blue, a turkey gobbled next to us like 50 or 60 yards away. But those cameras were still rolling. So it caught me sleeping, and then I, I woke up and turned my main camera on. And, you know, you wouldn't have got that if you'd been sitting there. Yeah. With all the cameras set to, with your Wi-Fi and you to turn it on with your phone, and if if a turkey pops up or a deer, if you're self-aiming for deer, if it pops up out of the blue and now you gotta try to turn these things on without them busting you, uh, you're 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 in a tight spot there. So I mean that's kind of yeah. I've learned this over the years of self-aiming. I started off with just a camera. And I quickly realized it made it difficult to edit when you don't have another camera to cut back to. The audio may not be good. And that's a lot. That's one thing that I think I've received the most um, feedback on or compliments is the audio on my on my videos. They're not always stellar, but you know, be able to hear what we're talking about and it comes across pretty clear. I think a lot of times that that makes yeah. a big difference. Have good audio. And uh, there's nothing more frustrating than watching a hunting video and you can't hear or understand what they're saying. The, the one thing that I struggle with the most is is getting well, especially with turkey hunting, is getting those gobbles when they're when they're kind of further off. Yeah, that's um. That's usually that that goes back to my camera. I added the shotgun mic this year. I I had a, a I had a road shotgun mic on there years ago, and I was getting some distortion in some of the audio and instead of getting a just to getting a, an upgrade shotgun mic or trying to find a better quality one i guess i had the lower end road mic and it was like it was almost like a le- electrical sound like you'd hear it buzzing sometimes and um it wasn't awful but it, you'd hear it enough that it aggravated me and i did some testing in at the house and i recorded me calling on my mouth call, and I recorded it with my main camera without the shotgun mic installed, and I did it with it installed, and I'm like, you know what? The audio is really good, the built-in mic. I think I'm going to just pull that shotgun mic. Well, I started noticing that I was hearing a lot of, like, uh, hiss noise, almost like, I don't know how to describe it. You just hear that sound in the background real low. Yeah. Instead of just dead silence and hear, you know, you hear the Tweety Birds or the Crow or a distant gobble, you'd hear that hiss along with it. And if you try to amplify it in, when you're editing to get that gobble to be, you know, so someone could hear it, make it audible, that hiss would just get louder. And, you know, I'm, I'm no expert when it comes to filming and everything. I'm kind of learning it as I go. You know, you, you've got that gain and you got a con- condenser built in. And I was like, oh, I need to look back and get in another shotgun mic, and that'll get rid of that. So, and so that's what I did. I bought a slightly better road mic, and, and I was able to turn down the, the gain on my main camera, and, and it gets rid of that hiss. And now when I'm filming, you can hear those distant gobbles, and there's no none of that um, noise pollution that you hear in the, the, in the background. It's, it's pretty clear audio. And you can hear all the birds, and you can hear us talking and calling, and the birds gobbling in the distance. So, you know, that's that's a, the other thing. Get some good audio equipment. Yeah. What what um? How do you how do you normally run a setup when you're in the deer stand? Um, I, I don't put as much effort into filming my deer hunts as I do my turkey hunts. Obviously, I mean, if you've seen any of those ones I put on YouTube, um, it's because I go so far back in the woods. I try to keep my load as light as possible. My deer stand is an 
20-something-year-old deer stand. Um, well, all three of them. I have three of them. I got one I've had since since I started deer hunting almost. It weighs about five and a half pounds, six pounds. Um, I've, re- I've replaced stuff over the years on it. It used to have a chain. I got a ratchet strap now. And then, well, no, I had a ratchet strap. I just converted it, all three. I put some uh, Versa buttons from Lone Wolf on there and have their straps, little fit straps. So that, that lightened the load up, and it, and you don't have that ratcheting noise if you're trying to sneak in close to a bed area. So my my stand and stuff weighs like, each one weighs like five and a half, six pounds. So they're really light. I have some climbing sticks. Um, I actually have screwing steps because they're legal in Minnesota, but they're not in Wisconsin. So I use climbing sticks from Wisconsin. And um, my buddy Garrett Prawl, he he has a channel called DIY Sportsman. He made these like, it's almost like stirrups, almost like a little rope ladder that you just hang on the bottom of your climbing stick. So you can, I can climb six feet up in a tree with just one climbing stick because it has that little rope ladder hanging from it. I can can take two steps on it and then climb it. So with three climbing sticks, which don't weigh but a few pounds, I can get about 15 feet up in a tree. You know, high enough for for deer hunting in most situations, and and up here we don't have all the the straight trees, limbless trees. Climbing stands are pretty much useless up here because anywhere you hunt, there's you're very seldom going to find find a straight limbless tree. So a lot of times I can put yeah. one climbing stick on and then use the tree limbs to climb the rest of the way up and get 15, 20 feet up with just one climbing stick. I only need all of them. But it, but at any rate, I'm trying to keep my load light. I have a muddy tree arm that I've been using. It's per, it's fairly light. But when you add all that stuff together, even with all this ultralight stuff, I don't know how anybody would do it with heavy deer stands and all the other stuff because all mine's ultralight. I, that that pack still gets heavy. I got flashlight, um, you know, my stand, my climbing sticks, uh, other equipment in there, extra, you know, I put my clothes in there as I walk out there because I don't want to be sweating them. A tree harness, it heck, it weighs a pound or, or two. You know, it's not it's not like a t-shirt or anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I guess I mean I, I try to keep everything light when I go back in there. So uh, let me I got off topic there a little bit. So anyway, when I'm filming my deer hunt, it gets in other words, it gets uh, if, if you've hunted five days straight, walk and we have to cry, carry everything out on the public land here. You can't leave it overnight. So I can go in there in the in the morning, tote everything in, hang it, hunt, sit there till you know, ten or eleven o'clock. I gotta take everything back out of the tree and tote it back out. If I go back that afternoon to a different spot or the same spot, I gotta you know, carry it back in there, hang it up. When I get done that evening I gotta take it out and you know, and that gets tiresome after a while. And so a lot of times I would ditch that camera arm just just to shave some weight and my main camera, and I would just use action cameras. I would put one in the tree, over you know, looking back at me, one in the tree looking in front of the stand. Uh, I might have one on my bow on the quiver just to to make sure I get the shot as I'm uh, the deer's coming. And I'm running those external batteries again like I do during turkey season, so they run nonstop. As soon as I get my deer stand, I just hit record. Then I don't have to worry about filming anything. There are times, though, I will take the, the camera arm and use my main camera and try to get some better footage. This year is one of those situations that I've told myself during the summer. I'm, i got all these trail cameras out here and stuff. I said, Shane, you need to just quit being lazy. And, and if you go out there and hunt five times and carry that camera arm and, uh, and your main camera and you don't see anything, you don't get a kill, don't ditch it. You know, I'm, This is me talking to myself. Stick with it. You know, it's it's a pain in the butt sometimes, but that's kind of my plan this fall is to actually try to film it like I do for turkey. My main camera, my lapel mic, those action cameras going nonstop, you know, one aiming back at me in the tree. Um, I like I always like to have one aiming forward to catch the deer. If I haven't hit, you know, one walks in and surprises me and I don't have my main camera on, at least that, that little action camera caught that deer walking in. So, I mean. I hope that answered your question. I know it was a long route yeah, yeah. to get there. Oh, it was fine. It's interesting. Um, do you? <clears throat> I'm sorry. Do you like? 
what are some of the things, speaking of like filming and stuff, especially when it comes to deer, what are, do you do anything to try to kind of, you know, help make yourself not get noticed while you're trying to be up there filming and all this? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't do anything out of the ordinary. I don't, I don't talk real loud, you know. I got a lab mic on, so I can, I can talk real low and whisper, you know, and, and, and I don't shoot a lot of B-roll. I may shoot, you know, a quick little snippet of me walking through the cattails or something if I'm going to try to tell the story. And, um, and, and a lot of stuff I use B-roll is like, Let's, for instance, let's say I'm going hunting right now. I go out there. I may I may record a snippet at the car or as I'm walking through through the woods and telling the folks where I'm going and why I'm hunting there. And I may use trail cam video for B-roll explaining why I'm hunting there. I, I got these deer on video, whatever. And then I climb in a tree. I don't shoot all the extra footage, you know, like on some of these TV shows. They show them climbing up in the tree and getting all the gear. I ain't got time to be wasting all that effort. People see, people know what it is to climb a tree. They don't need to see you climb a tree, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I get in the tree and I get all my cameras rolling, get situated. That's the first thing. Get everything situated as quietly as possible, then hit record, and then just catch my breath for a little bit and, uh, and quit sweating. And then I may turn to the camera and turn it on, you know, after I shoot pan around to get some B-roll the area I'm at. And then, um, Tell what's going on, where I'm at, what day it is, where, you know, I'm in Minnesota or Wisconsin, wherever. Um, I've been, you know, I've scouted this hard and da 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 da. And I'll tell a little bit of story. And from then, I don't record anything but like every hour or two. If I, if I haven't seen anything, if I, I may record like, you, you need to show the progression of time. Like, you can't have it be middle of afternoon, bright sunlight, and the next time you cut to it, it's, it's sun setting behind the trees and there's a deer walking in. Yeah. And you still kind of need to show that passage of time, but try to do it in an interesting way. Maybe, maybe if there's a raccoon comes through, show them squabbling. Um, maybe talk a little bit while it's not showing your face the entire time, showing like across the cattail marsh or the woods as a squirrel plays or whatever. You know, try to show that passage of time, but keep it interesting. And don't just show your face all the time talking. That's the biggest thing. People don't want to stare at you talking the whole time. You can talk for a minute or two is and keep people interested as long as you're cutting away the B-roll, you know, other uh, squirrel yeah. or tree bird in the tree limbs. But don't show your face for two minutes straight because then people get bored with that. But that, that's, yeah, that's not what I do with deer. I don't, I don't, I don't think I take it or take it, make it hardcore or as as much devotion as I do for turkey. But turkey is a lot more action-packed. You're, you're constantly moving. You're making sounds. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot more yeah. going on. Deer hunting, deer hunting, unless you're, you're hunting from the ground and stalking, blind, blind hunting, whatever, or still hunting, it's pretty boring. You're just sitting there waiting. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah it definitely, it's definitely easy to get bored when it comes to deer. Yeah. Um. When when is y'all's when is y'all's rut up there? Uh, I guess it pretty much starts like everywhere else in the country, except for like I guess South Florida and was Alabama that has a crazy rut in January or something, and Florida's is in South Florida's in July. But um, about the last yeah. week of October, last week of October, you start seeing those bucks, um, really showing signs that they're they're in the mood. Um, it really starts cranking up second week, November, you know, that around that 14th of November. That's right. kind of the magical phase. Um, I see them when I'm, when I ride around sometimes, deer chasing, you know, bucks chasing does down along the edge of the road or across a field, you know, but that, my favorite time to hunt when I, to get to that point is that last week of October around Halloween. I think that's, to me, I think that's some of the best time to hunt because the does really haven't come into estrus, maybe one or two, but the bucks are really feeling it, and you don't have to worry about them being locked down with a doe. I mean, they're they're all you know, checking scrapes, making scrapes, 
a lot of activity in the woods that around that Halloween date. Yeah. And and rattling seems to work really great for me that last part of November, uh, October, I should say. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I mean, that's about when I really is. I mean, it's pretty typical. Pretty much everywhere is around that middle of November. And, um, and we do have some spots down here in Georgia where it's like first of December. And sometimes, you know, they'll come, they'll come back into heat again in January. It's, it's yeah. pretty, it's pretty weird. I'll tell you something that's interesting this year, and uh, I was talking to a fellow yesterday, and it seems like a lot of people see that the phones this year all look, every phone I see has spots still, and they look really small. And it's almost like all the breeding occurred late last year. I don't know what's going on. Usually, like by now, you're seeing a lot of huge, uh, you know, the phones are much bigger. They're they're losing their spots, getting their summer, their winter coats, you know. And... I've got some on trail camera just from this weekend. They're little teeny things in spots, and I'm seeing that constantly. I'm like, what is going on this year? It just seems like there's a lot of young fawns, you know, but below what they should be right now as far as age was. And I don't, I don't know if that's just localized, but there's, I've seen uh, several people we've discussed it. We're all seeing the same thing, trail cameras and whatnot. Is that hmm. something you are you seeing down there? or, or uh, yeah, I mean, actually, we really, I really didn't start seeing any phones up until maybe, I want to say, late July. Um, which, I mean, I guess that's usually the typical time for them to start dropping, but, but normally oh, yeah, you see some earlier than that, but. Hey, y'all was right a little later in ours. Then correct you said up until uh, well, January I mean, sometimes yeah it's very it's very um uh, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for I'm drawing a blank but it's very localized I guess like you can be it, within the same county um you could be on that one end yeah. of the county and it'll be November first or the first week in November and then. On the other, all the way on the other end of the county, it could be December first when the very first peak rut hits. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I've, one of the things I've heard, and I'm no deer expert or, or biologist, you know, is when they were doing, you know, bringing deer in and out and moving them around the country to kind of help yeah. the herds. You're getting some that that, that affects them, so you can have areas fairly close to each other where the ruts off by a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, I think for the most part up here the deer these deer up here, you know, they're deer that have been here from the get go, so they're all on the same right. page. It just seems like just seems like this year that all the fawns you know, I was seeing like the year before, I've and, and all the years before it seems like I'd see them during turkey season in May. Late May I would start bumping into fawns out there that just been born a week old or, you know, a few days old. And I didn't see that this year, and I didn't think nothing about it. I just figured I hadn't run into any. It's not like I run into a lot when I'm turkeying. But I put out trail cameras and in June, and then, you know, it was it was later on, a few weeks later, I was finally starting to see bones on trail camera, and they were little weak-legged things, like they'd just been born. And, and here it is. I just pulled my camera today, for instance. And, you know, I had some bear, uh, one bear in particular, was interesting to me because he messed with my trail camera, but there's some fawns on there that that I've I've seen for last month or so, and I don't know if they're not growing very fast or they're just late, you know, born late. But they're they're red coat full of spots and small, and you know they got full energy and jumping around and everything. But I'm like, it's only two weeks before the season, and I don't recall the last time I've seen a spotted fawn during deer season. You know, I'm I've seen them before, but it's, it's usually they're, you know, they've got, you know, maybe they just need to change their summer coat to their winter coat and they'll lose them. But yeah. they just, they're all, but they're at the same point, they're all at the same, you know, on the flip side, they're still really small. So when when one walks up yeah. and he doesn't have spots, I'm going to still be able to tell he's a really young fawn, it looks like. I don't know. Right. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think, I mean, pretty much all 
our farms are going to carry their spots on into deer season. Um, now I have seen them. I have seen fawns in like turkey season, but right at the end of turkey season, May, late May, yeah. early June. But um, well, I, that's, I was going to ask you because I I did a podcast and I reference this all the time, but I did a podcast with Bronson Strickland. He's a wildlife biologist at Mississippi State. Yeah. And uh the way that the way that they explain how deer basically evolve into how big they're gonna be, it has to do with what the mother ate the years prior, basically the what she ate her whole life. And it has to do with um the climate and the habitat. Now do you I mean was like last year did you guys have a warmer than normal winter, or was it colder? Well, it's hard to say. When I look at these winters, sometimes like last, I thought I thought this past winter was a breeze for me. You know, I'm from the south, so it's, it's pretty easy for me to tell when they're tough and not. Um, supposedly, this was one of the colder winters on record. You know, not the coldest, but. But I didn't, I didn't feel it that way to me. I think we just had a lot of nicer sunny days. It may have been cold, but when the sun's out up here, it makes a huge difference as opposed to being cold and, and windy and cloudy. And so it didn't seem that bad to me, but I'm, I'm told by, you know, the people that keep track of the weather and weathermen and stuff that it was one of the uh, rougher winters we've had in a while. So, you know, who knows hmm. if that's affected it. I know this seems to be a drier summer, even though we, we were wet early on. And uh, the the crop, the corn crop, I thought, man, these farmers are going to be loving it this, you know, for harvest because cornfields, usually the, the saying up here is, is knee high by July. That stuff was shoulder high by July up here. It was growing so fast. And, you know, because we were getting a lot of warmth and rain to promote that. Then it just, you know, the spigot just shut off and it just dried up up here and, and got hot as could be and the fields turned brown. But, I mean, the deer should have been, you know, reaping the reward from early on anyway. So I don't know how how that's really affecting it. I know that the years prior to this past winter, the last three or four, the winters have been really mild. We've had good, uh, you know, turkey hatches in the spring. The mild winters have helped, have helped the deer and the turkey survive to the next spring. Yeah. So the population has really grown. Like I said at the beginning, uh, or I talked to you earlier, they increase the, the number of deer we can take right here in the zone I hunt in Minnesota. Um, so that's a good indication that the herd's doing really well as far as population wise. So, I mean, it's really helped. Yeah. 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 I, we, um, we, it was kind of 50, maybe, I don't know, 60, 70% if you're, if you were, Doing it on a scale of one to a hundred, I've seen years that were way better than this year for pulse, but it, it seemed to be pretty good. Um, but I was going to say, I think, I mean, it's very possible if you guys had a colder than normal winter, um, it's very possible that that could be a reason why bones may be smaller. I don't know. Cause yeah, I mean, it y'all's winter, y'all's winter goes on for a while, right? Yeah, um, I've seen I've seen it snow here in um, I guess the beginning of November, and and so it covers the ground, and then not be able to see the grass in the yard again until almost May or into April. So like almost what is yeah. that six months almost of snow on the ground. I've seen it like that. I mean, where it, we've gotten snow in May when I was turkey hunting, like May seventh, I think it was one year, two thousand twelve, I'm gonna say. A foot of snow. It was like a blizzard. I was out there. And we called in the goblin and killed it because they were still in the mood. <laughs> but he had a hard time <laughs> getting to us in that foot of snow. And it didn't seem like turkey season, yeah. I'll tell you that. But it's been, to me, it's been pretty easy. When I first moved up here in 2008, that was one of the worst winters that, that, that well, the worst winters I've ever experienced. But I was told it's one of the one of the rougher winters they've had in many, many years. And it was like in the negative 20s for days on end. 
and and you Ooh. come out here and you get in your car, you know how it forms a little flat spot on the bottom of your tire from the weight of the car sitting there. You start mm-hmm. your car up in the morning, you back out of the driveway, and it feels like you're in a Flintstone car because those tires are still, they still have that flat spot. They're frozen in that shape, and it's just bumpity, bumpity, yeah. bumpity, bumpity until the tires start flexing. Everything creaks and moans. It's, and as soon as you step out of the house, you start you know, shivering. <laughs> But, you know, yeah. the last few years it's been, I don't know if I'm just getting used to it, because I've been here 10 years now, but the last few years has just been a cakewalk. You know, I get through the winter, I used to dread the winter, I'm like, oh, it's going to take forever to get here. But it, it didn't seem that bad this year, even though they, I think it must be, instead of a long period of really cold stuff, I think the average temperature just, you know, it was probably slightly below normal, but it was, you know, it was cold longer and not super cold for, you know, these short stretches. Right. So it made it seem right. a little easier to get by or deal with. Who knows? Yeah. Do you do you think that, because I've always wondered this, and, and I don't get the opportunity to hunt in the snow very often, and you might get a chance to hunt in the snow once a year, if if you're lucky, maybe once every two or three years. Do you think the deer? We're, talk, we're talking deer, right? Yeah. Uh, do you think deer move better in the snow? Well, I mean, they probably do up there, but what are your thoughts on that? Uh, deer, deer seem to to me act the same no matter if it's raining or snowing. When it's and and it's just I know that they have GPS collar. Uh, studies and stuff that show that, you know, like the wind doesn't really affect deer movement and get to a certain speed, like 35 or 40 miles per hour, then the deer kind of hunker down. But just from my observations, when it's currently snowing or if it's currently raining, the activity kind of drops off. And, and no matter if it's rain or snow or sleet or whatever, as, as long as there's precipitation falling out of the sky, at a moderate rate, not, not just a drizzle, but a steady rain or, or heavy snow or, or sleet or whatever. Yeah. And I really love, and I'll stay at home when it's happening, I really love those when you get a full day and into the night rain or snow, and then the next day is sunny, or it clears out during the middle of the day and you can get out to your stand right when it's clearing out and it's ending. Just yeah. like you and I, just like people, you know, we get in that slump, we hate those two or three days of rain, and then the sun pops out and you feel so much better and you're ready to get out and do something. I think that affects the animals, too, because if you get that stretch a day, day and a half, two days of crappy weather, get out there in your stand right when it's clearing out. And I'll watch the radar uh, and the weather forecast, and I'm looking at, okay, when exactly is this going to break? Even if it requires me getting a little, you know, wet walking in while it's still drizzling and it's tapered off it's just i want to be in my stand when those clouds start clearing out and the sun pops out because those deer instantly get up and start moving to feed you know and yeah and like i said earlier they they're still moving around to feed in the rain and stuff they have to eat they have to keep their metabolism up i just don't think it's uh they move as much like in far longer distances it's localized right but as soon as, soon as that, that system moves out and you know the sky's clear and the sun pops out, then they travel longer distances and more of them are moving around at the same time, that late evening, whatever, early morning. Yeah. I think, I think, I say this a lot too, I think they're way more like people than we give them credit for. Uh, everybody, everybody that I've talked to, you know, you always want to try to hunt that very first day of any front and then hunt the last day or the day after that front has left. Yeah. And that kind of makes sense, kind of how you were talking. So it's like, you know, say if we're sitting here at home and we know a storm's coming, uh, like right before it's about to hit, we're like, man, well, I got to go, I got to go run to town right quick. So, yeah, I got to, you know. I, I got to, yeah, you got to take care of before it hits. And they, yeah. they, 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 they know it's coming. But mm-hmm. but you've probably seen this with turkey as well. I mean, you get those two straight days of cool, overcast, rainy weather, and then that the next morning it's calm and it's clear. The sun's 
the, the birds are singing and the birds the, and the turkeys are gobbling. It's just a lot of yep. good action. If you get that two oh, yeah. or three days straight of nasty weather, that first day of good weather, they just on fire. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I've, I've had that happen so many times. I can't tell you how many. I remember one time something with a buddy of mine, and it had been cloudy for about two or three days. And it was cloudy this this one morning. We went hunting, and the whole time it was cloudy, we ain't heard a single thing. We ain't seen no turkeys. Ain't heard nothing gobble. And I told him, I said, man, I said, if that sun just pops out just a little bit, I said, I guarantee you we'll hear something. And sure enough, 30 minutes later, that sun, like all the clouds just disappeared and sun came out. And shoot, we probably, we didn't kill none, but we got on three or four, yeah. I think. Sun, sun makes, yeah, sun makes those birds happy like it makes us happy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, well, I think I think we uh, we can go ahead and start wrapping it up. I'll I'll um let you get you a plug in if you want, and let everybody kind of know. Um, unless you've got anything else you might want to touch on. Well, I I will plug the Cali Chronicles. We didn't touch much on the dog, the deer tracking. Yeah, I yeah. Um, but that's kind of a new venture I'm starting this fall. You know, I, I do my spring turkey hunting. I do a little bit of fall turkey hunting for my show, Calling on Turkeys. You can find that on, on if you just go on the internet and Google, just Google Calling on Turkeys, you'll find my show. It's on YouTube. It's on the Mossberg channel. Um, I've been adding some deer hunts on my YouTube channel. If you just go to YouTube and type in Shane Simpson or Shane Simpson Hunting, You'll see my my channel. It's, it's a picture of me with a uh, in a kayak with a with a doe and a life jacket tied behind me. That's my little profile picture for it for YouTube. Um, but I'm starting a, a, a web show or uh, a little journal called the Callie Chronicles. I have a blue tick coonhound. Her name is Callie. I started track training her to track deer um, last well not last year. Last year was her first season actually tracking them. But I trained her. Got her as a pup the year before, and last year she tracked. Um, we tracked 38, went on 38 tracks, and we found 50% of them, which is well above the national average for tracking dogs. So she did really well. Um, so I got so much you know, feedback from that. People, you know, I'd post pictures of the deer we find and the story to go along with it, and there was so much, you know, uh, feedback of people requesting me to video it. I decided to try and document this year. So this year, um, I'm gonna have some cameras going. I, I, I don't, I won't have a main camera rolling while I track because I'll be kind of self-filming as I'll have these action cameras mounted. I have a little gimbal that'll be mounted on my chest to give a nice stable shot on that one. Um, the lab mic, of course. And we're gonna show, if you go to my YouTube channel and, and watch the little intro for the Cali Cross, it shows you everything we're gonna uh, cover. We're not just going to show you um, us tracking. We're going to show you know us talking to the hunter where he thinks he hit the deer. You know, you know, we're going to follow the deer. We're going to show you know overlays, computer animations showing where we think the deer was hit, uh, what organs were affected, the the course of the track, so you, so you can see if the deer ran straight, what landmarks and and, and uh, natural obstacles, maybe the deer went around creeks or whatever, you know, try to expose all that and, and learn from it. And then we're going to do an autopsy at the end. Now, the autopsy will be separate from the Cali Chronicles video. There'll be a link so you can watch it. But because it, it is kind of a graphic nature, only people that want to actually see the autopsy where we analyze the organs that were actually hit by the, the arrow or the bullet or whatever. And so we're going to, that's the, the plan to try and in our season of tracking is called the Cali Chronicles, and, and I do have plans to actually break away from my tracking and take my main camera and follow a, other, a couple of other local trackers in Wisconsin and whatnot, and and as they track, and then I'll have my main camera, so the footage will be a little better than those. So, long story short, the Cali Chronicles come up this fall, and then I'll try and film some of my deer hunts, and you can find all that stuff on my YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Shane Simpson. Awesome, yeah. Those that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty excited to see see that man. It's it's a definitely something yeah. new being able to watch watch a, a a tracking job go down. Yeah, and and cool. I'm gonna find it exciting. And I know I've watched some of them on YouTube, some other ones, and 
they're they're fun to watch sometimes, but then they get a little mundane just watching behind a dog the whole time. Um, I'm gonna try and keep yeah. it with with all the stuff we can try and show to to teach people or for myself learning stuff as I go. Um, to, sh- to show all the elements, you know, there's nothing more frustrating to me watching a hunting show, and and then you know, and you've probably seen it too. They 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 don't make quite a good hit on the deer, and they track it, or they have to back out, and the next morning they go in there and they find the deer, but they never tell you where the deer was hit, and, and you know, all of a sudden I'm like, I want to know this stuff. So I'm hoping, with yeah, the, the Calvin Chronicles, we can figure all this stuff out and say, oh man, I shot a deer just like that myself. And now it makes sense why it did what it did or, or how it got away. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you this real quick before we go. Last year taught me that, you know, I knew deer were tough, but they're a lot tougher than, than I thought they were and that most people give them credit for. There was deer living, surviving after what we would consider lethal, lethal, uh, injuries. So just because you make a great hit and, and you get, Blood, and I'll say this also, a lot of people say they had good blood. <laughs> good blood, you you know when you see it. There's a lot of people out there who think they got good blood, and, just, and they'll have just a little bit of blood on the ground. Deer have a lot more blood than what most hunters obviously think. But anywho, we're going to see all that as uh, as the season progresses on the Cali Chronicles, hopefully. Good deal.